thing of the week is always to come and uh, be here with you guys and preach the word of God when it's my turn. I love it. It's, an it's a great, great honor and, and blessing. Amen. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 10. All righty. I want to read you a fun story I found online. I want to see if you can keep up, okay? Here we go. One day, truth and lie stood by a river just outside of town. They were twins. Lie challenged truth to a race, claiming he could swim across the river faster than truth. So are you, are you following me so far? Truth, lie, both going to race in a river. Lie laid out the rules to the challenge, stating that they both must remove their clothes except for their swimming trunks, and at the count of three, dive into the freezing cold water, swim to the other side, and back. Lie counted one, two, three, but when truth jumped in, lie did not. As truth swam across the river, lie put on truth's clothes. Remember, they were twins. And walked back into town dressed as truth. So what did Lie do? There's no gender here. It's just truth and, and lie. Sure. Okay. He proudly paraded around town pretending to be truth. Truth made it back to shore, but his clothes were gone and he was left half naked with only Lie's clothes to wear. Refusing to dress himself as lie, Truth walked back to town in his swim trucks. People stared and glared as half-naked Truth walked through town. He tried to explain what happened and that he was in fact Truth. But because he was half-naked and uncomfortable to look at, people mocked and shunned him, refusing to believe he was really Truth. The people in town chose to believe lie because he was dressed appropriately and easier to look at. From that day until this, people have come to believe a lie rather than a belie that believe in a naked truth. Okay? Do you understand that? Yes. Okay. So, just as people in this small town did not really want to believe in the truth, which was true, because he was, it was difficult and uncomfortable to look at. In the same way, the people who heard and saw the message, who heard and saw the truth, Jesus Christ, they decided to reject him. Because the things he taught them made them uncomfortable and were difficult to live by. They wanted to believe their own lies, which made them feel comfortable and in control. When faced to bow down to the Savior, they decided to ignore the truth, and we will see that their fate would be worse than the two cities that God destroyed with fire and brimstone. All right? Does everyone understand the comparison? Because sometimes I, 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 I come up with these introductions that I think very, they connect very well, and then my wife last time told me, hey, what was the connection there? I was like, oh, okay, let me make sure that the connection is there so you guys can understand. Do you guys get the connection of the intro to the story. Okay, moving along. Let's read God's word together. Matthew 10, verse 5 through 15. The uh, word, the word of God says, These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any 
city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leopards, lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts, or a bag for your journey, or even two coats, or sandals, or staff, or a staff. For the worker is worthy of his support. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it, and stay at his house until you, have, until you leave the city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you, nor heed your words, as you go out of the house or the city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks, Father, for your sovereignty and your blessings of having us here. Uh, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself in this precious word that we can understand who you are, your character. Thank you for the commandments that you gave us to follow. Thank you for the, 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 the message that we're going to learn about today. I pray, Lord, that everything that we learn, all the applications that we get from this word, that we can apply it in our lives, that you, we can be sanctified by it. And Lord, that you can, we can be more righteous. Thank you, Father, for your word and thank you for this moment. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. So, an outline, right? So for those that are taking notes, Jesus' four instructions and a warning. Jesus' four instructions and a warning, okay? Uh, instruction number one, he tells them where to go, verses 5 and 6. Instruction number one, where to go, verses 5 and 6. Instruction number two, he tells them what to say, verses 7. Verse 7, sorry. He tells them, the third instruction, what to do. A, miracles, verse 8a, and B, how to sustain themselves. Verse 8b through 10. The fourth instruction, where to stay, verses 11 through 14. And last is the warning, verse 15. Anybody want to repeat? Need me to repeat anything? Again, one more time. The outline. Jesus is for instructions and warning. That's what we're going to look at today. Instruction number one, he tells them where to go. Verses five through six. Instruction number two, he tells his apostles, his disciples, what to say. Verse seven. Instruction number three, he tells them what to do. And there's two things he tells them to do. Miracles, verse 8, A. And he also tells them how to sustain themselves while they're doing ministry, verses 8, B through 10. The last instruction, where to stay while they're doing the ministry. That's verses 11 through 14. And the last is the warning, verse 15. The theme Jesus instructed the 12 to preach. Jesus instructed the 12 to preach, heal, and fully depend on him. Jesus instructed the 12 to preach, 
heal, and fully depend on Him. So as we read and as we study today God's Word, please have that in your mind. All right, so context. Last time when we were here, what are we talking about? Brandon brought the message, verses 1 through 4. What, what did we talk about? Um, the 12 disciples. The 12 disciples, right? They're summoned. And what are they, do, what are they told to do? What, 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 what does Jesus do? Read it. It's right there, verses 1 through 4. Read it real quick in your mind and then let me know. What, what does he tell them to do? Or what does he do to them? What does he give them? Authority to heal and cast out demons. Excellent. Now, stop looking at your Bible, look at me. Stop looking at your Bible, look at me. Name me one of the 12 apostles. Um, uh huh. Peter. Uh huh. If you don't know, you don't know. John. John. No. Luke. Luke. Thaddeus. Thaddeus. Luke. No, them. I don't know. He's one of the gospel writers, but he's not one of the twelve disciples. Oh. 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 I just okay, want to go quick. James. But which James? I'm just kidding. The brother? I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Judas. Matthew. Peter. Paul. Paul was not of the first twelve, but yes, he was an apostle. Paul's brother. What's his name? Simon? One, one begins Barabbas, with a B. Not Barabbas, Barabbas. Barabbas. No, not Barabbas. 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 Homework, know your apostles, please, before you learn Santa's reindeers. Okay. Can anybody tell me what is a requirement, what was a prerequisite to become or to be an apostle? There's basically two major ones that we talked about. Yes. What was number one? Um, having seen Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ what? Death and resurrection. Yes, resurrection. Good. And we know that the 12 and who else saw? Paul. Paul, yes, they saw that. What else? What was another one that we that we talked about? Yes, you. Uh, being Jesus. Okay. What another one? Being years. No. <laughs> What's another one? A major one? Yes, abs. Okay. Yeah. We're come on, guys. We we read about him. Or, or Brandon talked to it. Talk talk it up to us. Huh? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Uh, signs and miracles. Signs and wonders. Yes. They were, they were to perform these signs and wonders, okay? All right, so that's, that's where we left off. So Jesus summons his 12, the 12 are named, and now he's going to send them. He's going to send them. He gives them the authority, and now he's going to send them. All right, we see in the first instruction. The first instruction, what he tells them is where to go. Verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So for the first part, he what does he do? He instructs them before sending them out. Don't read by that and not think of anything. This is important here. Jesus instructs his disciples before sending them. Why is that important? It's important because it shows the care, the love, the leader that Jesus was. In order to be a good leader, you need to instruct. You need to show how things are done for you to be able to do them. 
For example, how, how many times have your parents told you to do something, right? And no one taught you how to do it. And then you, they get all frustrated with us, right? But I don't know. You didn't tell me. And then you don't do a great job about it. How, has that ever happened to any of you before? Yeah. We as parents fail sometimes at that. We fail at that because we're so used to getting what we want and not taking the time to what? Disciple. Instruct. Right? Instruct your children in the way of the Lord. It's very important. We instruct first. We teach first. Right? Even, look, look, even before uh, when Moses comes with the Ten Commandments, right? He instructs his people on what he's going to ask of them. Right? This is the God of Israel and these are my commandments. Follow them. Right? He doesn't, he doesn't just tell, uh, create us and not give us any directions. He's God, and he gives us the blueprints to follow. In this case, Jesus, what did Jesus, what, what did we just learn about in Matthew 8 through 9? What is Jesus doing? Teaching. Teaching, what else is he doing? Uh, I don't know, miracles? Disciples. Healing, right? He's healing. What else is he doing? He's raising the dead. Raising the dead, casting out demons, all these things. And who is watching him? The disciples. The disciples. The disciples. So it's not like, can you imagine just getting the disciples, summoning them without doing any of that? Sermon on the Mount. Okay, guys, go. Do it. Cast out a demon. How? How, Jesus? You know, raise the dead. But how do I even, where do I even start? But Jesus instructs them. He disciples them. He's with them. You know the strength of instruction and discipleship? He took 12 men and poured out his life, three years of his life on them. Three years of his life. And guess what? These 12 men... Because of these 12 men and their obedience to the Lord, we have Christianity today. And it's going to continue. But it took time. Jesus instructed them. Do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So the first instruction is where to go. He's telling them, okay, now I've given you authority. I'm commissioning you. Now you got to go. Right, you know, this kingdom that I've been preaching, everything that I've been saying, now it's your turn. You're going to go. Okay? But first, you're not going to go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans. You're going to go first to the house of Israel, to the lost sheep. Anybody can tell me what a Gentile is? Me. Yes. I'm not a Jew. Yes, you are a Gentile. I am a Gentile. Anybody who is not a Jew is basically a Gentile. Okay? What about a Samaritan? Anybody know what a Samaritan is? Yes, sir. <clears throat> yes, how did they come to be? Yeah, but why? What was the historical background? During the exile, yes. The poor Jews that stayed behind kind of intermarried, right? And even coming back from the exile, all the other people that came in and they intermarried and that's why they were looked down upon because as a Jew... You were not supposed to marry somebody that was not. Okay, so Gentile and Samaritan. And Jesus tells them, don't go there. Okay, don't go there. But you ask, why, why would he say that? Because is it just is salvation just for Jews? Is it? Because if it is, all of us here, we're, we're not saved. Right? Thank God it's not because of that. Right? He tells them, first go to the ones here in Galilee. The Jews first, right? But we know that in God's redemptive plan, we're included. How do we know that? Well, 
We just studied Matthew 8, 5 through 15. Who does Jesus heal there? Does he heal a Jew or a Gentile? Go back. Matthew 8, verses 5 through 15. Yes. Um, a Jew. No. No, not a Jew. Sorry, I meant a Gentile. No, you meant, yes, Gentile. Gentile. I... Which Gentile did he heal? Um, Come on, guys. We, we talked about it. Yes, the centurion slave, right? So if salvation wasn't for the, for the Gentiles, then why would Jesus heal the centurion and slave? And we look further in, in Matthew 15 through 21. Everyone go there real quick. I want to read it together. Matthew 15, verse 21 through 28. Okay, ready? Jesus went away from, he, from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from the region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is... Not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, oh, woman, you, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once, a Gentile. And if, if salvation wasn't for her, why would he heal a Gentile within the same book that Matthew is writing? Guys, let's talk about Paul. What was his ministry? What was specifically his ministry to what? To the Gentiles, right? So we know that the promise is for everyone. How do we know that? Romans 1.16. Anybody have that memorized? It's my favorite verse. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For what? It is the power of God for salvation. To what? To everyone who believes. To the Jew first and then also to the Greek. Gentile. Matthew 28.19. What's the Great Commission say? Go, therefore, and make disciples of only the Jewish nation. All the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, chapter 1, verses 8. But you will receive my power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witness both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. So, salvation is for all. Don't get that mistaken. MacArthur states, from the beginning, Israel was not called simply to receive, but also to be the channel of God's blessing. The covenant people were to be a witnessing people to the rest of the world, that is also to the Gentiles. What do you think another reason why? This is a little critical thinking here. What's another reason why Jesus would tell them to go first to the Jews? Let's see if you can come up with what I read in the commentators. It's a pretty good point, you know. Yes. Because the Jews had God as their leader for thousands of years, and they still didn't leave. Okay, so they were they were expecting a Messiah. So it only makes sense to go to the Jews because they're expecting a king. And if you're preaching, repent, the kingdom is at hand, then yeah, it makes sense to go to the Jews who were expecting a king. Who else? Why else would they go for the Jew first and not to the Gentiles? Jews were God's chosen people. Okay. What else? <coughs> if the Jew, 
so the Jews uh, didn't like the Gentiles, and so if they went to the Jews first, the Jews realized that it was also for the Gentiles, and they would be gracious to the disciples, not Gentiles. What if it was the other way around of what you just said? We know that Jews were as themselves, just because they were disciples doesn't mean they were like great without sin. If you for your whole life think a certain group of people are not worthy, are not clean, and Jesus tells you, go to the Gentiles and the Samaritans first before the Jews, how do you think the reaction of the disciples would have been? I mean, like, let's look at Acts. It took Peter a revelation from God while he's on a roof telling him, nothing that I made is unclean, Peter. Go to Cornelius. The gospel is for the Gentiles as well. Even though he, Peter heard this, it took a revelation from God to accept it. And even to the point, who was the other apostle who confronted him for going back and being, you know, uh, thinking that, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm back with my buddies again. Sorry, Gentiles, salvation is maybe not for you. Paul. Paul, he confronts Peter, right? And he tells him, what are you doing in Galatians? What are you doing? Salvation is for all, right? So... Another a commentator wrote that. I thought it was interesting. So yes, so he takes them, he sends them first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles and the Samaritans afterward. Okay. Now, why the house of Israel? Is why is the house of Israel considered lost? Because it says here. But rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So yeah, he's he's telling them to go to the house of Israel. But why why is Jesus calling them lost sheep? Anybody want to give it a shot? Anybody who hasn't gone on tonight? Tobes? Why is Jesus calling Israel the lost sheep? Because they keep straying. And why do they keep straying, Toby? They're unfaithful. Yes, and what could be the cause of that unfaithfulness, Toby? Remember last time I taught and I said uh, the, 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 that Jesus was, was concerned, he was sad, and he told, beg for God to send harvest to the workers, workers to the harvest. What was, what, what was happening? Joey, want to help him? Why? Why are they considered lost sheep? If they're lost sheep, it's because they're what? They don't have a what? A shepherd, right? Because who is the shepherd right now? Who is shepherding the people of Israel? Starts with a P. The Pharisees. And what are they? Hypocrites. Right? Putting a yoke on people that they can't even themselves live by. That's why they're lost. And he's telling me we need to go to the lost house of Israel first. He felt compassion for them. Matthew 9 verse 36. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. So that's the first instruction. He tells them where to go. Now let's move on to the second instruction. What to say. And as you go, verse 7, and as you go, preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Where do we hear this? Where do, where, where do we hear this before? Is this, did we hear this somewhere that we've studied in the past? John the Baptist. Okay. He's one of them. And then who else says it? Remember, instruction, teacher. I'm telling, I'm teaching my disciples. Where, where else? Who, who also said that? Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Where, when did he say it? Where? Matthew, 
chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, it's basically the same message that Jesus was preaching. He's telling now his 12, preach this message. The message that you heard me preach, the message that you learned from me, now you are going to preach that message to the Jews first and tell them, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What kingdom? What kingdom is at hand? God's, God's kingdom. But is it a physical kingdom? It's a spiritual kingdom. For spiritual salvation. And, how's, and how can you get into this spiritual kingdom? Sage, how can you get into this spiritual kingdom? Christ. Yes. Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the way. That's the only, so he's telling, look, this kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, and you can only go in through me. Make me your Lord. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at me, is at hand. So he told them where to go. He told them what to say. Now the third instruction, he told them what to do. The first thing he tells them what to do are miracles. Okay? Verse 8. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Hmm, that looks familiar. No? Does that look familiar or not? What Did we just not spend months on chapter 8 and 9? Yes or no? Tell me some of the examples that Jesus did. That, that Jesus did. Do. The dead girl. The dead, raised the dead girl. From, yes. The, dead, the, the, the girl was dead. He raised her from, yes. What else? Uh, there's a, a really demon possessed guy. In yes, and the Gary Deans. Yes, they 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 were taken away to a to a swine of pigs. What else? Because the leper. The leper. He heals the leper. Yes. What else? Lazarus' mother-in-law. Mother yes. Hey, you know, why'd you leave my mother-in-law? Okay. Yes. Um, the uh, lady with the blood flow. The hemorrhage. Yes, healed her. Well, who, what else did he do? Uh, the guy who was lowered through the roof. The paralytic. He healed the paralytic. Okay, you guys are paying attention. Yes, what else? Yeah, we just said that. But good. The blind man. Yes. What's the only miracle that he doesn't tell them to do here? No. No. He tells them to repent and raise the dead. Forgive their sins. Okay, he doesn't tell them to forgive their sins because they can't. What else? But that's a good point. What about when they're in that boat? Nature. Zach. Calms the sea. He doesn't tell them to do that. But all the other things he tells them to do. Because what? He instructed. He was there. He showed them. And now he's saying, hey, the things that you've seen, you know, do that. Do that. Now, why? Why? Does he tell them to do that? And why were they given authority to perform these signs? Drake, why? Why have we talked about miracles and signs and wonders? What's the purpose of them? Show the people what? That he is who? God, right? So it, it kind of validates who he is. And not only who he is, but what he says, right? So, the same thing here. Jesus gives the power to the disciples, the apostles, to do these things so that what? The people can do what? Believe that what they're saying is from God because he's validating them as their messengers 
through the miracle signs and wonders. Amen? Freely give, freely you received, freely give. Don't, don't skip that part. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Why would Jesus say that? Why? He did not charge, so why should they? He knew the propensity of man's heart. Can you imagine the power to heal? I mean, like seriously, any disease and you literally had that power. You know, in our human sinful nature, what will we do? What you see in TBN. Where you say, where you have people in TV saying, send me your donation and you will receive this handkerchief that was blessed by me that has the anointing. And when you send that donation, the bigger the donation, the bigger the miracle. And people give their life savings for a miracle that doesn't come. False prophets, false teachers. Guys, that's, a, that's some power. And he tells them, you saw me. I didn't charge. Don't charge. Freely give because that's not even your power. That's my power that I'm giving to you. What else? Why else would, say, would Jesus say that? Who else was, with, who else was among the 12? Jesus. Judas. And what was he? We know that he managed the what? The money. Well, he's the one that when the, the woman poured the expensive perfume on Jesus, what did he say? That could be used for the poor or my pocket. He didn't say that, but I'm implying it. That's not um, enlightened. Yes. Guys, so we might not have the same authority because this, this is a, a very misconception out there. People take these verses out of context and say, because Jesus said this, then that promise is for me as well. I have the power to raise the dead, to heal the sick. And that is not the context. He's talking here to the 12, okay? However, we might not have the authority to perform these signs and wonders. But you know what commission we do have? You know what commission we do have? What's our commission? To do what? Go out, Go out and make disciples. That's a pretty big commission. You know how big? You, we, me, you, everyone here has the power to be used by God for the biggest miracle of all. You know what that miracle is? Salvation. Because the power is in the gospel. And when you preach the gospel, God uses that. God uses you while you preach the gospel to for somebody, for the Holy Spirit to awaken somebody's spiritual eyes from dead to life. And there is no greater miracle than somebody coming to Christ and being saved. More than anything you can ever think of. God in His mercy and His grace commissioned and uses us for salvation. Just like He used the disciples at that moment in time. He uses us today. He commissioned us go and make now, can you save somebody? Can the way you preach save somebody? Can the way you present the gospel save somebody? What saves? God saves. And only he takes the glory. Then he goes on and says, do not acquire gold. So this is the second part. So the first part was to how to 
to, to do miracles. And then the second part is how, to, how are you going to sustain yourself while you're out there, okay? So while you're out there, make sure you go to the Jews first, right? And then, you know, do the miracles and then sustain yourself. And he tells them, do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for the worker for, or a staff for the worker is worthy of his support. Do acquire means two things here in the Greek. Number one, to obtain, like while you're out there, or also kind of meaning as a savings. Don't take a savings as you go. Don't take extra money in your money belt. Gold, silver, copper, money belt. That's your wallet. That's your form of living. He's telling them, don't try to collect while you're out there and don't take while you're out there. Okay, I want you to fully depend on me on this mission. He says, or a bag for your journey. The bag here is either A, a leather bag that was used for travel or for begging, for money. So he's telling them in there, don't take a bag either. Or even two coats. Remember when, when we talked about the um, loving your enemies, about the coats? Remember that basically everyone had only an undergarment and a coat and that was it? That was your wardrobe? Here he's saying, don't even take another coat. Why would he tell them not to even to take another coat if you're going to depend on him? What was the mind of the disciples? Why, why would they take another coat? What might they be thinking? A bribe? No, not necessarily. Well, they could either be like uh, saying that if one of their coats got damaged or to look like wealthy. Okay, that's a good point, but not in this sense or here. What, what they would use it for in the context, Joy? If there was like bad weather. Yes, or... Let's say they couldn't get a house to sleep under and they were going to sleep outside, which was common for travelers that couldn't get, you know, I have another coat that's going to protect me. And Jesus is like, no, the other coat's not going to protect you. You're going to depend on me. Okay. Or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his support. So Jesus tells them, don't worry about your provisions, right? How, and what do we learn about Jesus and his provision? For, if you focus on the things of God, where does he say that? I don't think I was here for that. I know maybe it was you, Brandon, who taught on the do not worry. Matthew yeah, Matthew, Matthew 6, guys. All right, do not worry because look at the, oh yeah, I was here. Look at the what? The birds of the sky, the flowers of the field. And what is he saying? Who takes care? I take care of them. So in that context, he's saying, guys, seek first what? Seek first what? The kingdom of heaven and... Before that. And his righteousness. And all things would come and be added to. That means what? Focus. He, he's like, focus on my business. He's telling him, he's telling his disciples, look, focus on what I need you to do. And I need you to do is to preach the gospel. I need you to do that. I will take care of you. Handle my business. I will handle yours. That's what Jesus is telling them. Do not worry. I will provide for you. Be focused on the mission. Guys, this is, it, the mission was urgent. He said, you need to go. Go. Don't worry. I got you. But just go. Don't worry about everything else. Just go. Now, some say there's a contradiction from Mark's account to Matthew's account. And I want to, you know, clarify it just in case you ever get, you know, asked about it. Uh, Mark's account says this in Mark chapter 6, verse 7 through 13, if you want to follow along. Mark chapter Okay, no one's following along. Go ahead and follow along. Chapter uh, Mark, chapter six, big, uh, big, big number six. 
Mark 6, verse 7. The Bible says, And he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should not take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt. Okay, that's something. But to wear sandals. And he added, do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from them, uh, from there, shake the dust of their souls or your feet for a testimony against them. They went out and preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many who were sick and healing them. So who, what is the difference? Can you see, do you see the difference there? It said that wearing sandals. Wearing sandals, right? And what else? It said that they anointed them with oil that healed them. Okay. But when it comes to Mark says that Jesus instructed them not to take a staff, but to, that they can take sandals. While in Matthew's account, it stated no staff and no sandals. Okay. Now you would think, oh, you know, is there a contradiction? There is no contradiction, okay? The reason why, in Matthew's account, Matthew assumed, or Jesus assumed, that they already had a staff and sandals, as he told them not to acquire. The acquire, he goes, don't acquire, meaning, don't acquire because you already have what you need, go. Do you see how that changes everything? Well, in Mark's account, he was telling them to take only the necessities they could take so that they could fully depend on God on their journey. So it's not really contradicting itself. One says acquire, meaning you already have, don't acquire more. The other one, this is the journey you need. Only take this because the rest I will provide. Comments, questions, concerns? Let's move along. The fourth instruction, where to stay. Verse 11. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay at his house until you leave that city. Inquire is, in the Greek, to search or seek out diligently, scrutinize. You're not just going to go in anybody's house. You're going to go and you're going to inquire on who is worthy. Now, what does it mean to be worthy? Who is rich and who has the best house that you can stay while you're preaching? Is that worthy? No. Worthy here means spiritual and moral character. Make sure that you go to a house of a man who is spiritually and morally of good spiritual moral character. See, during those times, guess what? It was considered an honor to host a teacher in your home. Well, the Jews, when it came to travelers, were very hospitable, okay? And especially if it's an honored teacher. So when the apostles were searching, they needed to make sure it was someone who had good moral character who would receive their message, and not be a stumbling block. So in the sense of the apostles were going to go to a home of a godly man who would most likely receive the message of Jesus Christ. We're not going to a man who is unworthy because then the people were looking at, what is, what is this guy <laughs> who's preaching about this kingdom of repentance in the house of this super sinner, right? So it makes sense for them to go to a house that is worthy. Also, the apostle would stay at a home and not look for a better accommodation, preventing him from losing focus on what his mission was. So once you're there, you're there. Don't leave. Stay at the house until you leave the city. Meaning, once you're there, you're there. Don't be focusing on who has a better house that I can go to. No, your job is to preach the gospel, heal, raise from the dead, perform the miracles, let the people know the message 
that I'm validating through this power that you have. Verse 12, as you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it's not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. According to MacArthur, the house is not where the apostles are to sleep, but are the houses in which they are going to preach the gospel. So the first house is where you're going to stay, right? That's verse 11. Now verse 12 transitions. Now that you're stayed in this house and you're treated well and it's worthy, now you're going to go to other houses and preach the gospel, right? And what happens? Give your greeting. What's a greeting? Luke 10 verse 5 says, Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. So if they receive the witness, meaning the good news that the apostles brought, then the greeting of peace was confirmed upon them. So they come in, bring this greeting of peace, bring this gospel message. The people receive it. That is the blessing. Good. You receive the blessing that I brought to you, the gospel. But what happens when they don't receive it? Well, you take back your blessing. It's an oriental saying, meaning withdraw favor or blessing. Once you preach, they, didn't re they reject it. You take it back. It's just a saying, sorry, no, you should have. Matthew 10, 41 says, He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of, righteous man, uh, in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. So he's basically saying, the prophet that comes and you receive the message, you're going to get that reward, which is a reward of the, what is the reward of the gospel? What is a reward? Salvation. salvation. What, you think it gets better than that? No. So they receive salvation, they receive the blessing. They don't receive salvation, they reject the, the, the message, they, the, the apostles take the blessing with them. You understand that part? Questions? All right. Verse 14. Oh, so, verse 14. Whoever does not receive you, nor heed your words as you go out of that house, or that city, what does it tell you to do? What did Jesus tell them to do? Shake the dust off your feet. What does that mean? To shake, so if they don't receive your blood, you come to the house, greetings be upon you, peace be upon you. This is the, the gospel message, and they're, they're so sorry, we're not interested. You know, we don't want to really make you Lord. It's kind of uncomfortable, because the way I'm living makes me comfortable, and I want to believe this lie and not the truth, so I'm going to reject you. Right? So what, what is this dusting your feet, dusting the dust off your feet? Yes. Me? No. Oh. <laughs> yes, of course you. Okay. Um, basically, you take off your shoes and clean them off and like clean off your feet. Why? Which is very rude. In, that in their culture, it is extremely rude because your feet are dirty and covered in like dirt and they're probably stink. And your sandals are probably worn out from traveling and covered with dust. And then they have to clean that up. Okay, that's a great um, try. What? <laughs> it was, it was, it was. I was told there's, that. There's a, historical, there's a historical concept to this. There's a well, background of what this means. Yes. Good try again. Good try. Yes, yes. You don't even want the dust on your feet from that place? Yeah. Which signifies what? Eh, good try, though. Good try. Yes, Joy? Is it to clean themselves because they know they're going to stay there? No, no, no. They're, they're, so basically, this is what it is, guys. To dust your feet was a tradition that Jews had when they left pagan lands. Every time a Jew was on a pagan land 
and they're leaving the pagan land. They're dust their feet because they don't want to bring that pagan soil to their promised land, to their home. Okay? So what happens, every time they did that, because they were a pagan nation, they looked at those lands as liable to judgment. So when the apostle said, okay, sorry, boom, boom, spiritually, like you're liable to judgment. And we're going to see what type of judgment they're liable to. They were to treat those who reject the truth of the gospel as pagans. And this is not something, you know, that's weird. We, 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 we read Matthew 18, right? When it comes to church discipline, right? If your brother's sinning against you, go and talk to him privately. Try to win your brother. If he doesn't, receive, bring another witness and then talk to him. And if he doesn't receive, put him against for the church. And if he doesn't receive, kick him out and treat him like a pagan. Which leads us to the warning. Verse 14. Whoever does not receive you. Sorry, verse 15. Truly I say to you. It will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Truly means amen, let it be so, right? Tolerable, capable of being born though unpleasant. So he's telling, he's telling his disciples, listen, when you go to the houses and you preach the gospel, if they reject you and they reject the signs and miracles that you are performing and they reject the words that come out of your mouth that I'm sending you to say, it's more tolerable, more tolerable. It will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment. So when the day of judgment comes, Who's going to be judged more harshly? Sodom and Gomorrah, which was bad. I mean, really bad. Genesis 19, 24 through 25 says, Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and on what grew on the ground. Guys, there's no, arter, there's no archaeological evidence of those we know they existed, but there's no remains because that's how bad they were burned. They were done. And he's telling his disciples, those that reject the truth, the day of judgment, it's going to be more tolerable for the Sodom and Gomorrah people than for those who did what? Rejected Jesus. Saw Jesus. Heard him from his mouth. Saw the signs and the miracles and the wonders. All of this. And still... I don't want to make you Lord. Mm. I'm my Lord. Who's writing this letter? Who's writing this letter? The book that we're listening? Matthew. Matthew. What is the theme of Matthew? What is he trying to tell the Jewish reader? What is he trying to tell them? Jesus is king. To do what? Make him your why? Why should you make him your Lord? Person who's reading this letter? If you don't, you're going to hell. Because it's, it's going to be more tolerable for the city that you know in your history. Because the Jews know about Sodom and Gomorrah. They know. And he's telling him it's going to be worse for you if you reject. So guess what? Do you think that this message was also spoken by the apostles while they were going? Because Jesus instructs them before, and then they go out. So Jesus tells them, hey, go out and make sure you tell them. Tell them that 
If you reject me and the message, you're rejecting Christ. And if you do reject Christ, it's worse for you in the day of judgment in Sodom and Gomorrah. So he's trying to tell these people, please be saved. Repent and believe. Believe this letter. Jesus is king. Now, how does this apply to us? Don't be like one of those. Today you have heard about Jesus, the Son of God. You've heard of His spiritual kingdom. It is one that you cannot get on your own merit. You can't, you can't be good enough to earn it on your own. You have to repent and believe in this Jesus. In the Jesus of the Bible, the triune God, the living Son of God, who died and raised, was raised from the dead, who is alive today. And you have to make that decision. If you will call Him Lord, or if you will ignore this truth. Jesus is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father if it's not through Him. Your own marriage won't get you there. Being a good person won't get you there. Only Jesus Christ can get you there. You are a sinner in need of a Savior. You cannot save yourself. Only God can save you. And when you call out to God, He is willing and able to forgive so don't be like these people who are going to be judged very badly in the day of judgment. Because guess what? You might not have seen Jesus. You might not have seen a miracle. But you know what? We got the word of God. And the word of God is, Peter says, it's the most sure. The most sure. I, I, I can't. I, I, I was almost there. Foundation? There's a Brandon, can you help me out? You don't know? <laughs> Second Peter. <Yeah>. True? <laughs> we need Mr. Teagle. Mr. Teagle probably would know. Second Peter. See, this is when I don't stick to the nose, but we're gonna get here. I think it's Second Peter 2. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. But know his but know this first of all that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's interpretation for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will but men moved by the holy spirit. No, that's not it. Peter says there is anybody Peter says that there is no, nothing more sure than the Word of God. No, no prophecy is more sure than the Word of God. And Peter's in the top context saying, I saw when Jesus was transformed. That falls short to the Word of God. So we might not have seen the miracles. We might not have seen Jesus personally, but we do have the Word of God. And because we have the Word of God, we are liable. We are liable. We know the truth. And if we decide to ignore it, we will be judged harshly for that. Amen?
Three points of application and conclusion as we finish. Number one, know which, are, which is our commission. Not that the apostles, but that of Matthew 28, 19. Guys, don't hoard this blessing to yourself. Share, share, share with whoever you can all the time. Everywhere you go, you share. Because this is our commission to do so. Number two, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. This is part of the commission. Part of seeking his kingdom is preaching. 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 And last, repent and believe. Don't reject the truth you constantly hear because it will be worse for you than Sodom and Gomorrah. Guys, I'm telling you all the time. I tell you all the time. This is the most dangerous place you can ever come to. Church is the most dangerous place, especially a church like ours, where you get the gospel on Wednesdays, you get the gospel on Sunday, you get the gospel with your parents, you get the gospel every single time. The gospel is surrounding you everywhere you go. It's dangerous for you because if you don't believe, if you decide to reject that, it's going to be worse for you than, some, for, for you than Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment. Drew? 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1? Yeah. What verse? 1 Peter chapter 1 verse Here we go Everyone turn your Bibles there please Are you sure it's 1 Peter or 2 Peter? 2 Peter 2 Peter 2 Peter 1.19. Let's, let's start at verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on that holy mountain. But then he says, so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you dwell to pay attention as to a lamp shining in dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this. First of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's interpretation. For no one prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but moved by the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying is, guys, I saw, I was in that mountain. I saw the, the whole transfiguration. That is nothing compared to the sure word of God that we have. So please be encouraged to know that we have the word of God, the very words of God, and his revelation to our lives. Let's pray. Holy Father, we give you thanks for your message, for your words. Thank you for your commission to go and make disciples. Thank you for using us in your grace as a part of an instrument for salvation, Lord. Thank you because you didn't have to, but you choose us you to, to, to go and to preach your gospel. Let us never forget it is you that save, not our words, how we say them, but it's the gospel that saves Thank you, Father, for the commission that you've given us, Lord, and the honor that it is to be an ambassador of your kingdom in preaching these, these, these great truths to the world. We pray that tonight, anyone here, Father, I pray that if they're spiritually dead, that you can open their eyes, that they can see themselves as a sinner in need of a Savior, and then they can call out to you, Father. 
I pray that everyone here who hears these truths can repent and believe and make you Lord. Please, Father, I beg you, I beg you, Lord, that you do this right now. Thank you, Father, for your word, and thank you for everything that you do for us. It is in your precious name that we pray. Amen.